I surrender to Sri Rama, the Lord of the rebels, with lotus petal eyes, handsomest in the whole world, yet a terror on the battlefield, the compassionate one, filled with kindness. Canto 7, The End of Ravana The Vandaras were watching all the four gates, but Ravana came through the illusory gate in the sky and landed in their midst with a thud. As he emerged from the gate, it is said that the sun lost its luster, and the birds started to scream discordantly. Clouds rained drops of blood, and horses tripped and fell. Javana's face lost its customary glow, and his voice became hoarse. His left arm and eye started to throb. All these omens were indicative of death. He did not heed any of these, and drove at a fast pace through the ranks of monkeys, accompanied by the remains of his loyal ministers. He forged into the thick of the Vandera army, and fought like one possessed. None of the Vandera's were able to face the onslaught of his fury. Sugriva fought a duel with Ravana's general, Virupaksha. At last, with a blow from his open palm, Sugriva killed him. Like a lake, drying up as summer advances, the forces on both sides were decreasing as more and more of them fell. Slowly it dawned on Ravana that fate seemed to be siding Rama, or else how could this have happened to him? He was considered invincible in all the three worlds. It was unbelievable that his valiant general, Virupaksha, could have been killed by a single blow from a monkey's paw. Ravana sent Mahodara to take his place, but Sugriva took up a fallen sword and chopped off his head as easily as cutting a ripe fruit from a tree. The third and last of his great warriors was Mahapashava. It was the boy prince Angada who killed him. Seeing the death of his three dear commanders, Ravana ordered his chariot to take him immediately to where Rama was. Once again he came in front of Rama. He preferred to forget their first encounter and Rama had treated him so chivalrously. He saw Rama leaning against his famous bow, the Kodanda, with Lakshmana beside him, and the thought crossed his mind that he looked like Narayana himself, with Indra by his side. He passed by Lakshmana and came face to face with Rama. Rama was happy to encounter him, for he had been waiting for him all these days. It was a glorious encounter, it is said that even the gods came to watch. Both were well versed in the art of warfare. The rest of the army stopped all their individual fights and came to watch this magnificent duel. The earth and sky were lit up with the brilliance of their arrows, charged with various types of incantations. In one way it was an unfair duel, since Rama was on foot and Ravana in a chariot. But Ramana, Rama was not perturbed. Now Lakshmana entered the fray, for he had been itching to have a fight with Ravana. He could never forget the piteous face of his dear sister-in-law, as he had last seen her when she had begged him to go after Rama. He fell Ravana's splendid banner, which had been fluttering in the breeze, with a single arrow. He then brought his charioteer down and broke Ravana's bow. Vibhishana rushed up and killed the horses. Ravana was furious. 
He jumped down from the chariot and sent the famous Shakti weapon at his brother. Lakshmana intervened and saved Vibhishna. Ravana decided that it was high time to put an end to this puny brother of Rama's. His green eyes sparking with copper fire and roaring with anger, Ravana hurled another javelin made by Mayan, endowed with magic powers. It sizzled through the air, making a horrendous noise. It flew like an awesome meteor at its target, and Rama quickly chanted a counter-mantra in order to rob it of its strength. Though it lost its power to kill, it was still potent enough to knock Lakshmana senseless. Rama was most upset to see blood gushing out of his brother's wound, but he knew that this was not the time for weeping, so he continued to fight with Ravana. He shouted to Hanuman and Sugriva to came and come and take Lakshmana, whom he had taken into his arms, unmindful of the fact that Ravana's arrows were piercing him all over his body. After handing over his beloved brother to their tender ministrations, he concentrated all his energy on Ravana. Turning to his friends, he said, It is obvious that this world cannot contain the two of us. Either he or I will have to die. You may all take vantage positions on the hill and watch. For this battle will be talked about as long as the worlds remain, as long as the earth stands above the sea, and as long as living beings inhabit this earth. All the pent-up fury he added against Ravana, which he had been bottling up for eleven months, now rose to the front and he fought like a mad tusker. The Rakshasas were night wanderers, and with the approach of night they became more powerful. But with the approach of day, Ravana perceptibly became weaker. This encounter with Rama was even more fierce than the previous one, and the spectators could only hear the twanging of bowstrings and could hardly see the warriors. The arrows of the demon king had the faces of fiends, lions, tigers and wolves, while Rama's arrows looked like firebrands, lightning and meteors. At last, stung and pierced by numerous gold-tipped arrows, Ravana left the field to take rest, and Rama could turn his attention to his brother, who lay unconscious. He begged Sugriva's court physician to do something for him. If my brother dies, I care not if I win or lose the war. I do not desire the kingdom or even my life. I seem to have lost the desire even to rescue Sita. A wife like her may perhaps be found, but I will never find another like Lakshmana, who was born with me and was like my own shadow and who has been my sole support and comfort during these dark days. So saying, Rama sobbed over the body of Lakshmana. The physician said, My lord, Lakshmana's face has not lost its glow which makes me believe that he is still alive. His skin does not have the darkness which is associated with death. His palms are still pink and soft. Moreover, he has all the auspicious signs of a long-lived man. So please do not grieve. Turning to Hanuman, he requested him to go once again to the Himalayas and bring back the magic herb known as Vishalya Karani, which had the property of bringing a person back to consciousness. Before he could complete his sentence, Hanuman had winged his way to the north, but as usual he could not recognize the medicinal herb in question, so he lifted the whole peak and carried it back, so that the physician could choose what he wanted. When he breathed in the healing fragrance of the herb, which the physician crushed and held to his nostrils, Lakshmana woke up as if from sleep, with no loss of energy or signs of fatigue. Both Rama and Lakshmana were deeply grateful to Hanuman. 
shedding tears of joy, Rama clasped his beloved brother in his arms and said, My dearest brother, if you had died, life would not have held any meaning for me. Neither Sita nor kingdom would have meant anything. Lakshana was rather embarrassed by his words and said, Brother, please keep your oath to kill Ravana today. Please do not worry about me. Go and challenge him to a fight. Before the sun sets, you should kill him. Rama knew that his brother spoke the truth, but he went into a reverie and for a moment felt that perhaps he might not be able to defeat Ravana. Seeing Rama looking utterly exhausted and sitting in deep thought, the sage Agastya came to him and gave him the great mantra known as the Aditya Hridaya, which is a famous hymn to the sun god, said to have the power to overcome all obstacles. O prince of the solar race, mighty arm Rama, he said, listen to this ancient mantra by which you will be able to vanquish all your foes in battle. The presiding deity of this hymn is the sun, and if it is chanted fervently, it will result in the destruction of your enemies and bring you victory and unending bliss. It is guaranteed to destroy all sins and allay all anxiety. Worship the golden orb deity of the sun, therefore, with this hymn, for he represents the totality of all celestial beings. The all-knowing sage knew that Rama was Narayana incarnate, but he also knew that he was still unaware of his divinity, and so he initiated him into the secret mantra, as a guru would initiate an ordinary mortal. By the sincere chanting of this holy hymn, not only will material obstacles be removed, but also obstacles in the path of the seeker of eternal truth. He advised Rama to look at the sun and repeat it, and he would surely be victorious in his battle. Hearing this, Rama was thrilled, and gazing intently at the rising sun, he repeated the hymn with all fervor and sincerity. Lord of victory, Lord of the east, Lord of the west, O thou immeasurable one, O thou resplendent one, O golden-limbed creator of the universe, witness of all things, I bow to you. After repeating the hymn three times, he went forth to challenge Ravana. Just at that moment, the sun came out in a burst of glory, as if he applauded Rama's decision and was urging him to hurry up for the deed on hand. Rama shouted for Ravana to come out, and the demon king came charging in, seated on another magnificent chariot. A fierce battle began between the two. The watching gods declared it to be an unequal fight, since Rama was on the ground and Ravana in a chariot. Indra dispatched his own charioteer, Matali, to go immediately and take his chariot to Rama. He sent his divine weapons and armor to aid him. As Rama watched a brilliant silver chariot with weapons shining like lanterns, yoked to ten silver-gray horses, landed gently in front of him. Matali came down and bowed low before him and said, O king of the solar race, I have come at the behest of the king of gods. Pray get in and let us start the fight. Rama looked at Lakshmana and gave a smile of understanding. They both recognized the chariot as the one which had been parked outside the hermitage of Sharabhanga when they had gone to pay homage to the sage. At their meeting with Agastya in the forest, he had told Rama that Indra would send a chariot for him when the need arose though at that time he had not known what the sage meant.
Rama alighted the divine car and faced Ravana on an equal footing. The charioteers drove the chariots in a series of skillful and bewildering maneuvers. Each used a number of deadly arrows charged with various potent mantras. The snake arrows of Ramana, which flew with unerring precision at Rama, spitting poison from their wide open mouths, were foiled by the eagle arrows of Rama. Eagles are avowed enemies of snakes. The sky was covered with arrows flying in the air and colliding with each other and negating each other with noises like thunder. The world trembled to witness the wrath of Rama. The sun lost its brilliance and the sea came in huge waves to watch this terrifying battle. The frown and Rama's face, which was so rarely seen, made even Ravana tremble in terror. Birds and beasts ran about crying. Vasmigi says that just as the sea can be compared only to the sea and the sky to the sky, so the battle between Rama and Ravana can only be compared to the battle between Rama and Ravana. At last, Ravana took an enormous javelin in his hands and decided to make an end of his opponent once and for all. The weapon was smoking and hissing at its edges as if anxious to go and find its rest in Rama's chest. Ravana shouted to Rama that this would be the end of him and hurled the mighty javelin at him. Rama countered with a shower of arrows which should have burnt up the javelin, but the arrows fell down, burnt to ashes by the fury of Ravana's weapon. The sight incensed Rama and he took the Shakti weapon which Indra had sent him and hurled it with all his force at the oncoming javelin. The javelin and the Shakti collided in midair and the javelin broke into a thousand splinters and fell on the ground, its power exhausted. Now Rama spoke. You call yourself a hero after abducting Sita when she was alone and unattended in the ashrama. What chance did she have against brute force? You are nothing but a thief and a molester women and a coward. But beware, your head will provide food for hungry vultures and your blood will be lapped up by wolves before the day is over. Ravana was beginning to be unnerved by Rama's unflagging enthusiasm and barrage of arrows. His charioteer, seeing the condition of his master, skillfully steered the chariot away from Rama. When Rama, Ravana came out of his temporary swoon, he swore at the charioteer and ordered him to drive fast to the midst of the fray. Ravana never turns his back on his enemies, he said. He does not retreat till he has wiped out his foes. My lord, said the charioteer, it's a duty of a charioteer to protect his master. Our horses were tired, and you were also fatigued and in a swoon. I saw nothing but evil omens, so I thought it best to bring you away from the situation. Ravana was pleased by the devotion of the charioteer and presented him with his own bracelet. The charioteer whipped up the horses as commanded by his master and took him in front of Rama once again. Rama requested Matali to maneuver the chariot into a good position and soon the vehicle of Ravana was covered with the dust of Indra's chariot. The rest of the army stood like painted figures, spellbound by the scene. Ravana tried to bring down Indra's divine banner but failed, while Rama's arrow found its mark and brought down Ravana's pennon. Ravana was biting his lips and glaring with fury when he found that none of his arrows were hurting Rama. The latter, on the other hand, was having a slight smile on his face. 
while his arrows found a sure mark, at last fitting an arrow resembling a venomous serpent to his bow, Rama sliced off the resplendent head of his opponent, adorned with huge golden earrings. But to his astonishment, in front of his very eyes, there rose another head in the place of the previous one, and then another, and then another, as each one was cut off. Ravana's ten heads are meant to convey the idea of his inordinate ego. With just one head, all of us have egos which are impossible to control. Then think of the ego of a person with ten heads. When each ego head was cut off, another reared its haughty hood. It is the same with us. When our ego is put down in one place, we immediately find another reason by which we can make ourselves feel important. Rama was starting to feel worried, though his face remained calm, and a continuous stream of arrows kept flying out of his bow. Thus they struggled through the day and night without rest, until at last Matali Indra's charioteer spoke to the prince of Kosala. My lord, he said, remember who you are. Ravana's moment of death has come. Dispatch the master and kill him. Do not aim at his head, but at his chest. When he looked at Ravana's heart, it is said that Rama saw Sita mirrored within, and inside the heart of Sita he saw himself enshrined. He was in a dilemma. What could he do? He waited for that split second when Ravana forgot Sita in his anger against Rama, and at that psychological moment he whispered the incantation of Brahma and set his golden-tipped arrow given to him by Agastya straight at Ravana's heart. It was the most powerful weapon known to man or God, and very few human beings were initiated into its mysteries. For its power was great, that no one who had not learned to control himself could use it. The arrow was made of the essence of all the elements, flaming like the fire of universal destruction, and as fatal as the end of time, the arrow fled from Rama's bow like a streak of lightning and found its mark in Ravana's chest. Piercing through his body, it sank into the earth and then swerved and returned to Rama's quiver like a meek servant. As soon as he was struck, the invincible bow of the king of demons dropped from his nerveless grasp and his body, full of splendor, fell like a thunderbolt from the chariot. A shower of flowers streamed from the sky and the sun came out from behind the clouds. Ravana's life was fast ebbing away. The mighty king of the Rakshasas who had ruled the entire world with the might of his arms alone now lay dead on the battlefield, a prey to every passing vulture and jackal. He who had no equal in might and valor, who had terrified the whole world and thus earned the name Ravana, who had pleased Lord Shiva himself by his glorious chanting of the Sama Veda, had been killed by a mere mortal as had been prophesied. Though he had been a great hero, because of his lust for a woman, he now lay dead. Even in death he had not lost his splendor. Dazzling as a fallen sun, he was glorious even to the end. The remnants of the night rangers fled in terror, pursued by the jubilant cries of the Vandras. Lakshmana, Sugriva and Vibhishana and all the others crowded round Rama and congratulated him. Vibhishana was suddenly struck with remorse and wept for his proud brother who had come to such an end. Rama comforted him by saying that Ravana had indeed died a hero's death. 
This is the path pursued by the heroes of old, he said. For a Kshatriya, there is a right way of living and a right way of dying. And he has chosen the right way on the battlefield. Vibhishana, all enmity ends with death. Now go and do whatever rites are to be performed for him as per the rules. For there is no one else to do it for him but you. News of Ravana's death had spread like wildfire to Lanka. And out of his harem there poured out thousands of beautiful women who had been picked from all over the world, famed for their beauty, whom not even the sun had seen, but they had never been allowed to go in the streets. They ran to the gory battlefield and threw themselves on his body and wept piteously. Our Lord had been granted immunity from death by Brahma and now he has been killed by a mere mortal. Why did you never listen to us? You abducted Sita despite our advice. She has been the cause of the extermination of the entire race of Rakshasas. Had she been restored to Rama, all this would never have happened. You spurned the words of Vibhishna. Fate is indeed all-powerful. It was ordained that Ravana, the greatest of all monarchs, should be defeated by a mere mortal, held by a pack of monkeys and bears. Mandodari, foremost queen of Ravana, mother of the brave Indrajit, now came running into the battlefield. Her hair disheveled, her face wet with tears, and lamented over the body of her dead husband. How could such a calamity have overtaken you, my noble one? How is it possible for a mortal to have killed you? This Rama must be divine. The fact that single-handed he defeated Kara and Doshana must have convinced you that he was not an ordinary human being. When I heard that he had built a bridge across the sea, I knew that he was not an ordinary mortal. I know now who Rama is. He is Lord Narayana himself, the supreme soul. He has assumed the garb of an ordinary mortal for the purpose of saving the, saving the world. And the gods themselves have assumed the forms of these monkeys. My Lord, it is Narayana who has killed you, not a human being. Once upon a time you performed a lot of austerities with your senses under perfect control and now those senses like untamed horses have dragged you to your death. Sita is a noble lady devoted to her husband. She should have been honored by you but instead you chose to insult her. Her tears of shame and despair have killed you and not Rama's arrows. What does she have that I lack? In birth I am equally high-born. In beauty, she is nowhere superior. Yet, blinded by lust, you chose to carve out your dreadful end. You brought death to yourself the day you brought Sita to Lanka. Sita will now be reunited with her Lord and will live happily, while I will be plunged into sorrow without you. Where has your smile gone, my Lord? Where is the look of love in your eyes when you gazed at me? How proud I was of my good fortune. I was the daughter of the architect of the Asuras and my husband the king of the Rakshasas and my son the most valiant warrior in the whole world. How could I believe that death would rob me of my dearest treasures in one fell stroke? So lamenting, Mandodari fainted over the body of her husband and the other women had to carry her away. Again and again she ran back to have a last look at her husband's beloved face, which she would never see again. Rama told Vibhishna to set about the task of cremating Ravana. His body was placed in a pyre 
made of sandalwood and many different types of fragrant woods and herbs and draped to the skins of black antelopes. Curd and ghee were poured on his shoulders and a wooden mortar inserted between his thighs. The corpse was draped with different types of costly cloths and roasted grain was sprinkled over it. With great reverence, Vibhishna touched the earthly remains of his brother with a flaming torch and set fire to it. He completed all the rites connected with the funeral and gave oblations to the departing soul. Then he went and saluted Rama and told him that everything had been done according to his wishes. Rama prostrated Indra's chariot and thanked Matali and sent the chariot back. He then asked Lachmana and Sugriva to take Vibhishna to the city and crown him king. He did not go himself since his fourteen years were not over. Lakshmana took Vibhishna to the city of Lanka and placed him on the throne of the Rakshasas and gave him the ceremonial bath by pouring consecrated water over his head and thus proclaimed him as king of Lanka. Thus ends the seventh canto called The End of Ravana of the Yuddhaganta in the glorious Ramayana of the sage Valmiki. Hari Om, that says. Vasishta says, In ornaments I see only gold, in waves I see only water, in air I see only movement, in a mirage I see only heat waves. Similarly in the world I see only Brahman. From the Yoga Vasishta.